Let me give you some context here. Why this? I unloved my mother. My name is Tom Chick, and you're listening to the Quarter to Three Games podcast, which I am uh, doing with my co-host, Jason Aliushis McMaster. You're close on that one. Close. But it's not McMaster? Is it? No. Did I, did I mispronounce Flan- that? It's Flanagan. Flanagan. Oh, I, I confuse that in Aliushis a lot. Uh, can you spell the word Aliushis? Uh... Just say I no. Just say no. Yeah. No, probably not. <laughs> I don't think I could no. either. Uh, Flanagan. Yeah, that's right. Of course. I think I knew that about you. Uh, by the way, did you know what that music was? Uh, I did not. <gasps> Jason Flanagan McMaster does not recognize the music from House of the Dead Overkill. I knew it sounded familiar. Oh, yeah, well, that's now a you great know. game. It's a great game, and it's a great soundtrack, and uh, it's great writing, and uh, it's coming to the PS3, by the way. It's good news. Uh, so you don't have to have a Wii to enjoy it. So it's not like that Connect Punch a Zombie Runaway game that was E3, or at E3, or whatever it was? Yeah, the Connect Punch a Zombie or Runaway game, uh, also known as, I think, Rise of Nightmares, uh, that's, a, that's like a poor man's House of the Dead kill. Yeah, exactly. I think I think Sony definitely, as far as the cheesy horror games, is coming out ahead uh, in, in terms of of exclusive games on the platform. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, uh, uh, Jason Flanagan McMaster, why don't you explain to listeners what our format is? What are, what are we going to give them this week? What we're going to be giving you is this mm-hmm. magic. <laughs> no, um, the the card game. Yes, the gathering. Um, We'll be discussing one forum post or thread, one news story, and uh, one game apiece this mm-hmm. week. And these will be like our, our choice of the week. And and I just want to say, for folks listening, and also, these may not necessarily be because they are our favorites. For instance, a game of the week might be one that we just want to highlight as being hate-worthy. You know, <laughs> you, you never know what we're going to do. Uh, so... Uh, McMaster, where should we start? Which one uh, would you like us to start with this week? Uh, Let's go to news. Okay. I will start us off with uh, my news story of the week. Uh, It's actually not much of a news story because it it shook out pretty much as I expected, uh, but it is a big deal. And uh, it's – you probably know by now the U.S. Supreme Court shut the door – on uh, this legislation in California that attempted to criminalize the sales of violent video games to minors. And exactly as I would have expected they would have done, it was a, a 7-2 to ruling uh, citing First Amendment protection, uh, saying that you cannot do that. They, they upheld a lower court's decision that it is unconstitutional to restrict sales to minors based on violent content. Oh, now, yeah. now uh, a lot of folks portray this as uh, – and a lot of folks were up in arms about this legislation uh, saying it was like a ban or that it was censorship. Um, and I, I feel that that was an unfair representation of what was going on. Uh, nobody was trying to ban violence. Nobody was trying to censor video games. This was sort of growing pains that we as a young industry needed to go through. Uh, because video games haven't really carved out a niche for themselves yet, because there are a lot of confused parents and oblivious politicians that don't really know how to think about video gaming, this was a necessary, important first step, and I didn't really see it as a, as a siege on video games at all. Uh, of course, naturally, some legislator, in this case, I think uh, Schwarzenegger, our, our governor at the time, backed this legislation. Uh, we have a... Uh, I think, is he a, a state representative, a fellow named Leland Yee, who, who makes a pet issue of this, of, of protecting minors from violence in video games. And I think it's an important issue. Uh, and I'm glad to see the Supreme Court has basically recognized it's not an issue that government should be involved in. Uh, and and the, the beauty of this news story is I think it shook out the way it did, partly because the industry itself has risen to the task with the ESRB. 
And whether or not you agree with specific ESRB rulings, I, I think you need to recognize that it's an important part of being mainstream and growing. Just like movies, music, and, and television have a voluntary rating standards that they subject themselves to, uh, there's no government legislation behind this. Uh, if you sell a ticket to a kid to an R-rated movie, that's not a crime. That's just something that, as a theater owner, you don't want to do. You want to avoid that, and the MPAA helps provide guidelines for that. So the ESRB has been doing this for the, for the games industry, and ever since, say, Columbine, where people are freaking out about violence in video games, uh, I think they've done a great job. I love going into a GameStop, and, you know, if there's somebody in front of me, it's a, a person with a kid, I love hearing the guy behind the counter. Those guys can be so clueless and annoying, but uh, I love it when they say to the parent, now this is rated M for the following reasons, and they read the, M, the ESRB uh, ratings. So I think the, the, the bottom line is the ESRB has, has been doing grand work, even though it's not flawless, it's an important tool, and we just hit a landmark moment where... Video games are now classified with movies, TV, and books as free from government regulation uh, under the, the tenets of the First Amendment. So that's what happened this week. It was big news. Uh, actually, I think it was the end of last week. Uh, and thank you, Supreme Court, or at least the seven of you who were with the majority ruling, for recognizing us there. Yeah, the hell with the other two. Uh, let's see. It was it was Thomas, of course. and uh, I think Of it was, course. And it, was it? I forget who the other one was, but I think it was a surprise. But, yeah, that Clarence Thomas guy, he needs to get some video gaming on. He needs to find out what's what. Uh, I, I hope he plays – what game should we make him? You know what? Someone send him a copy of Manhunt Saints 2? Row. Saints I mean, Row. <laughs> okay. it, it seems, you know, I mean, after the pubic hair on the Coke, you know, I that, mean, would, that be, would seem pretty tame. It would be right up his alley. I bet he would love that kind of humor or exactly. Say, Maybe he would enjoy the kind of humor in Shadows of the Damned. Yeah, that could work. <laughs> yeah, oh, I swear to God. I'm sorry I went there because I know you. <laughs> uh, Jason uh, Flanagan, Master, your choice of Game of the Week last week was Shadows of the Damned. We can get into that in a minute. Uh, and God bless you for your choice. If that's the game you're into, that's fine. It, it wasn't working for me. But I think you and Clarence Thomas w I, are the appropriate audience for that game. Curse you. <laughs> uh, Jason Flanagan, Master, how do you feel about... Violence in video games and kids. Sound off. Go. Well, from an American perspective, you can't really do the same thing you do with television and movies and then censor it in video games in the same way. I mean, because realistically, we, we don't have nudity on our television, but we have a lot of murders. Mm -hmm. So so it doesn't it wouldn't seem right as a as a median to actually, you know, persecute something. And not do it to something else, or et cetera. But on top of that, it's you hit it. It's, it's more important that we're actually recognized now. now you know, as, mm -hmm. Jason as, Flanagan, yeah. McMaster, I want to ask you though. Let me throw this this side of the argument at you. Some would say that because video games are so interactive, because there is such a participatory thing going on with video games that isn't the case with movies, books, or music. Shouldn't we be more careful about violence in video games? And I don't know the answer to this. I just want to throw that at you and see what you think. You know, yeah, sure. I mean, it, but it's – yeah, no, that's a tough question. Uh, and I don't, I don't know the answer to it. I'm glad you didn't ask me because I wouldn't know what to say. Oh, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> you always have to sting me at least once with that. <laughs> now, there is a, a counterpart to this, like – we can't – it's illegal to say, look, you can't sell a video game to a kid because it has violence. However – and this is what I was curious about. Uh, it is, of course, legal to say you cannot sell a copy of Hustler to a kid because it has sex in it. Um, That's a good point. And, and that is because while there aren't laws regulating violence, there are definitely laws regulating obscenity. So, oh, yeah. I find it – I don't know that I find it odd because I, I do think sexuality and violence should be treated differently in terms of how children are exposed to them and the degrees to which children are exposed to them. But I do find it curious that the U.S. recognizes, yes, there can be limits on sexuality, legally mandated limits on sexuality as it is expressed to, to minors. Uh, but there are no limits on violence. Uh, so in a way – I, I, I think there is there's there's a point to be made there, 
but I don't know that it uh, that it means we should regulate violence. The, the government should regulate violence in the same way that it regulates sexuality. Uh, I think it is correct that they are separated as distinct kinds of influences. Um, are you okay with that, Jason Flanagan, Master? Yes, I am. Uh, I agree completely. I mean, that, that's what the ERSRB is for when it's used. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's like the the real problem. Now, of course, it's gotten a lot better. But, you know, you'll still go into a GameStop or something and see somebody, you know, just sell a kid, whatever. You know, <laughs> they don't, they, you know you're going to have your employees that don't pay attention. And I don't know if it's harshly punished enough. Well, the thing is, it's it's something that the retailer itself should control and not the state government. Like state governments are in charge of of pornography, for instance, and the, the like what's obscenity in one state might not be obscenity in another state. So. Uh, for for the violence issue, it's up to the different retailers. What do they sure. do if a if a clerk isn't paying attention and sells an M-rated game to a five-year-old? I, I don't right. know. Uh, so that's up to the retailer. Uh, and you know, I like it. Like I said, like you mentioned, sure, it can happen that there will be flaws in the system. There will be cracks. That doesn't mean the tool itself sh- is invalidated. I think it's an important tool, even if it doesn't work 100%. We don't scrap it. We just try to make the tool better, and uh, I think we've come a long way, and um, I'm real happy for us. So yeah, yeah I really like the ESRB. Uh, all right. So by the way, I just want to say I just got back from a uh, I just saw a demo of the game Catherine, uh, which is an M-rated game published by Atlas. It's a Japanese developer, uh, and during the demo, I noticed, and I'm not sure how I feel about this. I don't think there's any nudity in Catherine. There's probably not. <laughs> but that's, that's like a, a, it's a strange game. But it's a game about sexuality, though. Like if, yeah, if there's true. if there's any game where it's appropriate, like there's nudity in God of War, there's nudity in the silly splatter house thing, uh, and they're 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 like grindhouse kind of games oh, yeah. in a way. But in a game about Catherine, which is about sexuality, like what better place for nudity? And I, why I don't, I don't know I don't. I don't want to sound like some lecherous old dude who wants to see <laughs> naked breasts, who's only playing Catherine to see naked breasts. But during the, the – it's like a sex scene, and the camera was always strategically placed like in an Austin Powers movie that you never saw an actual breast, and I thought that was a little conspicuous. Uh, yeah, that's a little weird. I, I mean I've seen a little bit of gameplay, but I, I haven't seen a demo really yet, and I'm really curious about it. I mean mostly for its pedigree, you know, for the people designing it, which are – Involved with uh, a lot of other Atlas properties. Like uh, the the ones they mentioned were Persona and Shin Megami Tensei. Uh, Yeah, I love uh, both of those series. Now, Jason Flanagan McMaster, you are half Japanese. Not many people know that. But tell us, (laughs) what what does Shin Megami Tensei is Japanese for what? Uh, That's a good question, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) For folks keeping score, I've stumped Jason... Al, uh, Flanagan McMaster twice on this podcast, so that's two to zero. Oh, <laughs> uh, all right, so enough about my news story of the week. It's what? a true goddess reincarnation, ha! Huh. You just uh, looked that up on Google, didn't you? No, I don't. I don't have the internet. That's very good. <laughs> so got it. Okay, I'm adjusting the score. Then we're one to one. <laughs> Touche. So, all right, what is your news story of the week? What do you have to top the Supreme Court? Uh, protecting video games under the First Amendment. Well, this will be really exciting, comparably. But uh, open beta for the new Hellgate will begin on June 30th, which I thought was interesting since Hellgate disappeared quite some time ago. But for people following the story, uh, Hellgate, developed by Bill Roper's studio flagship, um, did not do so well in the sales department, and it had to be shut down. So Hellgate was shut down, and then another a Korean-based game developer, Hambisoft, uh, acquired Hellgate and has been developing it for a new release. So wow. Hellgate London fans, you will be able to play the game again. Now, do you know offhand how old is Hellgate London? Uh, <laughs> uh, August. Uh, da, 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 da. No, it was. It's 2008. <laughs> okay, so it's a, so they're re-releasing a three-year-old game. Right. Actually, it came out, uh, sorry, 2007. My a four-year-old game that sucked, by all accounts, and I actually have first-hand experience with it. They're <laughs> re-releasing it. Now, is it is it like at least a free-to-play model, or they, they want people to pay money for this? 
they have both. They have uh, free to play, and they also have a subscription if you want more. So it's just like Hellgate when it came out, kind of. Like, didn't they try to hit you with some uh, BS subscription <sighs> stuff? Oh yeah, those people got burned. Yeah, the people. Uh, the best was they had like a, a Founders Club ah. subscription, and it was really expensive. But you never had to pay another monthly fee. But then the game lasted what, like a year. So those and, people will get folded in. They'll get grandfather clausd into being able to play for free now. Is that right? I have no idea about that. <laughs> I would bet that, you not. I doubt because it's I would bet hands. you not as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, that. Well, it's absolutely not the same game in a way. It's kind of interesting. They've bundled in a couple of expansions they developed, and they've recoded a good bit of it, and they removed a level cap and stuff like that. Now, so, you say it's going into open beta. Is the open beta already started, or, or there's an announced it, date for it? It starts tomorrow, June 30th. Will you be jumping into this? I'll I'll check it out. All right. Yeah. You, you've now pledged to take the bullet. So next week, I expect you can come back and tell me how Hellgate <laughs> London was. This ought to be good. <laughs> did you play Did you play that when it came out, the, the original Hellgate uh, Yeah, I played it a bit. And were you as down on it as I am, or were you, were you okay with it? Yeah, you know, the biggest problem it had, I think, was you know technical issues in a way. But you know, I didn't hate the game, but it was it was certainly you know I mean it couldn't compete against World of Warcraft. I mean it really couldn't compete with you know Warhammer Online if it was you know, at the let, same time. So. Let me throw out there the name of a game that has pretty much erased all desire for me to ever play Hell, Hellgate again. And I think you're on board with this game as well. But but I think of going back into Hellgate and I'm like, yeah, should I try this? Should I not? And here's the game I think of that makes me decisively think, I don't need another Hellgate. You ready for this? Yes. Borderlands. Borderlands is a good time. And I feel like I have Borderlands. Why would I want to pay or even not pay? Why would I want to spend time in a Hellgate? Uh, I, I don't know. I guess I guess they have a different enough thing. Like there's more of a loot chase in Hellgate, I think. Yeah, it's it's kind of an MMO thing. You yeah. Know? yeah. Um, and uh, like uh, some of the stuff sounds interesting. Uh, supposedly they're going to release another expansion called uh, Tokyo. So you'll be able to play in uh, near future Tokyo, which sounds very Akira. See, and that also, like, I would think that would therefore necessarily mean they're going to give us a whole bunch of new assets, new levels. It'll look different. Uh, So that's that would sound kind of that would that would uh, pique my curiosity, I would say. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm certainly interested to see it, especially if there's a free to play model. All right. So uh, come back next week and uh, Jason Flanagan McMaster will have firsthand experience. (laughs) With yes. the uh, the beta for uh, Hellgate Live. Now is it is level it, eighty? <laughs> I want you to hit that level cap. Now is it being called Hellgate London or just Hellgate? It's being called Hellgate. I want to say Resurrection, <laughs> or beautiful. it's either Hellgate Resurrection or Hellgate Eternity. I think it might be Eternity. Oh, uh, they should have gone with Hellgate Resurrection because that right yeah. there answers <laughs> all the questions you need to know. Yes, it's this game Clive Booker. <laughs> But no, it's, this game came out, it died, we're bringing it back. That's all I need oh, yeah. to know. Uh, all right, so uh, those are our news stories of the week. Uh, where should we go next, Jason Flanagan, Master? Games of the week or posts of the week? Let's save the sweetest plum for last. Let's go for posts next. All right, so here's my post of the week. It's not related to anything to games, uh, and I don't feel bad about that at all, so there. Uh, my, my post of the week, you know what? I'm going to read my post of the week uh, to you. Right. So it's a, it was both part of the sub-forum. Uh, if you're listening, you probably realize that Quarter to Three is a message board, and we have several sub-forums. One of the sub-forums that I rarely venture into is called uh, Books, Comics, TV, and Music. Now, I don't go in there because I don't read comics. Everyone knows those are just for little kids. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah. I already know the music I like. I'm 40 years old, and I don't need new music. You kids get off of my lawn. I've heard everything oh, yeah. I'm, I need to know about. You know, pfft, I'm fine. Zeppelin, There's no, you don't need any other music. So I don't go in there for that. TV, who watches TV? It's terrible. And then finally, books, I don't have time to read books. I, I'm reading a book now. I've been reading the same book for like the last three months, and uh, I don't have enough time to read new books. So I don't go in there. However, I did go in there. You really sold that forum. I really did. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry, yeah. Everything this forum is, it's, it sucks, <laughs> and it's for babies. This is a baby forum. Well, so then I'm going to redeem what I said about that. I'm going to redeem this forum in that my post of the week comes from this forum. 
Uh, it's under a thread that's ridiculous that I just clicked on because I thought, look at the ridiculous name of this thread. What could possibly – there's nothing in here that would even remotely interest me. So I'm going to click on it just to see what the deal is. The thread is called Finding Bigfoot. And uh, it's a fellow named <laughs> – yeah, so R. Dansky is uh, one of our one of our posters, and he he wanted to mention this new series on Animal Planet called Finding Bigfoot, which is literally about these four yahoos who have founded the the uh, BFRO, the Bigfoot Field Research Organization, and they run around in the woods and they interview people who've seen Bigfoot, and they supposedly capture footage of him. I mean, it's just it's a ridiculous reality show, and I don't know what it's doing on a relatively respectable channel like animal planet uh but this fellow was posting about it he was saying yeah it's kind of silly the guys are kind of goofballs and i was reading a thread and i even uh deigned to watch one of the episodes and just thought this is absurd i want no part of this <laughs> so i felt dirty for venturing into this thread i felt you know once again it just reinforced that uh books comics tv and music is a useless sub forum but then matt keel comes in oh, and, God. and he posts the following now, now, Keel, by the way, I find fascinating for he has a very thorough appreciation and understanding of things that I tend to be dismissive of. Keel cares about Transformers and Star Wars and not in a like a, a, a nerdy, dumb way. Like he has this very wide understanding of them and the minutia and the lore. And I love listening to the guy talk. It's like listening to Dave Markell talk about Lord of the Rings, you know, when somebody really is passionate about and knows the subject. So I love I have a Transformer fan friend, so I know how that goes. And and if you read Keel's post on the new Transformers movie, like I would, I have no desire to see it. And if I were to see it, I would probably just be completely dismissive of it for different reasons than than Matt was. But Matt had a great dissection of the Transformers movie, and I thought it was a fascinating read. Here's what somebody who loves the Transformers. Here's how he feels disappointed by the movie. So so anyway, Keel, I, I like his perspective on things, and I loved what he did in this Finding Bigfoot thread. He jumps in there. And he just very simply, he provides a, a link, and he very simply writes, uh, Bigfoot documentaries begin and end with Not Your Typical Bigfoot Movie, which is a link to a movie called Not Your Typical Bigfoot Movie. Uh, and Keel further writes, equal parts horrifying and heartbreaking, available on Netflix Instant, but don't expect the feel-good movie of the year. That's all he wrote. It piqued my curiosity. I just had finished watching a terrible, terrible uh, reality show about Bigfoot. So I'm like, I'm going to see what this documentary is that Keel's recommending. And it's fantastic. It, it reminded me a lot of, uh, do you know the movie, the documentary uh, American Movie, Jason? Brandon? Yes, I do. So American Movie is about a real guy in Wisconsin trying to put together a movie. It's about It's about a normal person sort of chasing a crazy dream. And... Uh, not your typical Bigfoot movie is is a bit similar uh, in that it's about these two old guys who consider themselves Bigfoot researchers. And unlike the shysters doing this horrible reality TV show, these old guys, they're 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 destitute. Uh, they're both married, but they both seem a little lonely. Uh, as you watch the documentary, uh, I think it's clear that it, one of them is probably clinically depressed. The other one it could be diagnosed as delusional. Um Wow. I, I mean, I, and they're they're just fascinating studies. And the movie's not the documentary is not judgmental towards them. You know, for the most part, the camera just lets them talk. But what emerges is a portrait of these two guys who go out into the woods and they just take random pictures of the woods. And one of the guys does this crazy chanting that he claims to have learned from a, a, a shaman. And he's just chanting out at the woods. And then that's they, what you did that one time. <laughs> California Pizza Kitchen. Yeah. We promise never to talk about that. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> but they, so they go back then to one of the guy's house and they upload all the pictures to the, to a computer and they go through them one by one and they look at the pictures for shadows that might resemble Bigfoots. And they're just like they're just like looking at a dark patch, and they'll put a circle and say, "Yep, there's two Bigfoots sitting right there." Oh God! And they upload this stuff to the internet as as if they were serious Bigfoot researchers. And this whole wacky community of Bigfoot researchers go like looks at their pictures. And one of the awesome things that unfolds in the course of this documentary is one of the pictures is kind of accidentally discredited by one of the men, and the tension it creates between the two of them. And there's wow. there's a great third act appearance by a sort of a celebrity Bigfoot researcher who's a total and utter jackass and and they 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 go on like a joint research expedition 
uh, which which highlights the difference between this celebrity researcher and these two lonely guys. Uh, and it's just it's just a beautiful slice of crazy Americana. And as a guy who is fascinated by things like 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 tea partiers and and truthers and just all this like cr- these crazy movements in, in American history, uh, I, I just love this this look at Bigfoot researchers and these two guys in specific. So Matt Keel. Thank you so much for that post. That was my post of the week that led me to, to watching this documentary. So uh, you're not uh, you're not into documentaries. They're one of my favorite types of movies. Well, yeah, it depends on like I think like why do you watch movies? For me, I kind of watch movies for the escapist the escapism value of them, like to go to a different place, a different world, and to sort of live there for a little while. And I feel like documentaries kind of cheat that because they aren't fake places like they're real places well sure yeah so but but you're right i mean any whenever i see a great documentary i just am so buoyed by it and it's so exciting to discover something like not your typical bigfoot movie uh but i just have a hard time going there in the first place so did you ever uh, watch uh, much errol morris Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Like he's, of course, the, the classic. For instance, oh, yeah. uh, Fast, Cheap and Out of Control is Great fantastic news. for how it's – I think one of the guys like a shrubbery artist. There's a guy who's yeah. naked mole rats. Like the point of that movie is that it does not matter what the subject matter is. As long as somebody is passionate about it, it's interesting. And that right. – that in and of itself is 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 why documentaries are great. Like as long as you find the right subject, the subject matter – is irrelevant in a way yeah that's uh that's really what i was thinking about it's uh yeah he well he, and he's a fantastic you know filmmaker yeah. too i mean the fog of war is one of my favorites i oh, love jesus mr. mr death um you know uh thin blue line it's amazing um but just you know it's just talking about the people though i, I started thinking about mr death and uh or gates of heaven his first movie even what is uh, gates they, of heaven about i know the other ones you mentioned i don't know that. um gates of heaven was his first one and it's a documentary about a pet cemetery <laughs> and it, it's run by like this kind of weird sad family and they're they interview all these like weird sad pet owners that come out and they have like really crazy like tombstones and it's just <laughs> i think the one of the the best things about that movie is one of the sons that helps run this. You can tell he doesn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. So like he's always like wailing on his badass guitar like over the pet cemetery <laughs> on a hill. <laughs> he's like the crow of his time. <laughs> he's just like sitting up there wailing out badass tunes over the pet cemetery. That's great. So Gates of Heaven and and it you say so it predated Thin Blue Line like it was his first documentary. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it, Good to know. Uh, yeah, Gates of Heaven was 1978. It was actually another funny bit of trivia. Werner Herzog was one of his um teachers. And uh, there was a bet that he could never get a movie made about a pet cemetery uh, or like a documentary about a pet cemetery that he couldn't make it and that it wouldn't be any good. So the bet was that if Werner Herzog lost, he'd have to eat his hat or his shoe. I think it was his hat actually. And yeah, they filmed it too. So there's a film out there of Werner Herzog eating his hat or shoe. I can't remember one of the two. It's either way. It's disgusting. That is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. Have you seen the film footage of Werner Herzog getting shot? Yeah, during an interview? <laughs> yes. It's like the greatest thing ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who, who does that? What, uh, Teddy Kennedy or, when, uh, or whatever? In Werner Herzog. <laughs> and, and Herzog's assessment of it when uh, he later is the, the interviewer saying, you know, hey, lift up your shirt. You're bleeding. You just got shot. Werner Herzog, his comment, and this is so famous, is it was not a serious bullet. <laughs> I just love that. He dismisses the, the seriousness of the bullet that shot him. Uh, that's great. I, uh, I love that guy. They're, he's in this one. I don't know if you've seen it. It's like a, a fake documentary about – It's not fake. A, a casino. Oh, oh, because you're thinking of a different one. Okay, so let's – go ahead. So this is Werner it's Herzog. Go ahead. Werner Herzog, and it has the guy uh, – oh, jeez. I'm going to forget his name. Let me look him up real quick. No so, Googling. There's no Googling on this podcast. I don't, that is- I don't have the internet anyway. <laughs> But so it, it doesn't it, really matter. Um, so watching that, my what I thought you were going to mention, this will bring it around full circle to not your typical Bigfoot movie. Werner Herzog is in the definitive documentary about the Loch Ness monster called awesome. Incident at Loch Ness. And the less I say about it, the better. Um, but it shows you a side of Werner Herzog that I never thought I would see. And I, I love Incident at Loch Ness. And I think it's the final word on cryptozoology, the Loch Ness Monster, and Werner Herzog as an actor. 
Uh, Werner Herzog. Yeah, no, I found it. Uh, it's called The Grand. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, mm-hmm. But it has uh, you know, Woody Harrelson, David Cross, Dennis Farina. You know, it's like one of those oh, all-star no, yeah, yeah, I've seen yeah. this. It's the poker thing. And yeah. I, I didn't like it. But I, you, you know what? I know what you're talking about, though. So. Yeah, he, he brings like all the uh, small animals with him or ants and stuff because he has to kill something every oh, day. That's right. That's right. He's a total nihilist. <laughs> Poker player. So. Okay, well, if you're recommending that, McMaster, I must, I'm afraid I must insist that you see Incident at Loch Ness. All right. So with that, what, Jason Flanagan McMaster, is your choice for post of the week? My choice, choice, <laughs> said choice, um, my choice is uh, the Duke Nukem Forever thread. Uh, What's going Duke on in there? Yeah, because you love Okay, right? Yeah, I, oh, I love the game. It was fantastic. Um, now, you did finish your review, right? Yes, uh, but it's not up yet for some reason. I think Bill's probably redacting quite a bit of it. No, um, Can you spoil what number? Did you give it a 7, an 8, or a 9? I gave it a 7.5. <laughs> so you you kind of liked it. All right, fine. Yeah, yeah. You're a Duke um, Nukem apologist. I am a total apologist. I'm on the list of people that will get review copies next time. <laughs> the Redner group is okay with you. Right. Yeah, yeah, I sold out. Um yeah, no, um, the, the interesting thing about it is, is somebody had an interview, a uh, link to an interview on YouTube from one of the guys that was a developer, and he mentions Brian Hook in it, which is a poster of ours, and he stepped in to talk about uh, a couple of things, and it, it's just kind of an interesting story behind the scene there. Now, Brian Hook, I think we can say, is our own uh, Bacon Tastes, wait, Bacon Tastes Good? What is this? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which I'm guessing is, is a pulp. Fiction reference? Is that true? Do you know what it does? It has to be. I can't yeah. think of you know, any other popular reference, and I'm smart. So, <laughs> so, so tell us about uh, what – so you're, you're specifically highlighting uh, Brian's contributions to the Duke Nukem thread? And, well, mostly I'm highlighting the contribution of Rob Merritt, which found an awesome insider view of Duke Nukem Forever. And it's an interview show, and it starts at around the 50-minute mark, but they talk to a guy about it. But I just wanted to point out that Brian does mention uh, – does put a little bit of insight behind uh, the, the statements there and uh, how crazy uh, – Entertaining, I'm sure George Broussard is. No, he doesn't actually mention George, but that is in the uh, in the show that's linked on YouTube. Well, what I got from that interview and what I what I loved hearing from this, I mean, I felt a little bad that they rolled out. It was the hosts, the host of the show, his brother had worked for 3D Realms, so I right. felt I felt a little bad that they rolled this guy out for like inside dirt. Like I always feel weird hearing inside. Yeah, it's kind of a burn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but what did emerge was this cool picture of of how Brian came on board and, and what happened. Right. Like, like Brian was basically brought in to be the no man to George Brassard, the guy who would yeah. tell George, you know, was basically the a portrait emerges of George as this just good natured fella, but kind of a baby. Like you kind of gives yeah. into impulses and he, and he sort of has to have his way. And, and I've met Brassard and he's a really nice guy and he's, he's just very in his own way, just sort of friendly and accommodating and self-effacing. He's not like a tyrant, um, but, but you know what, you use the term baby and, and I don't necessarily mean that to, to denigrate him, but there is something kind of, I, I want to say childish in an innocent yeah. way about him. Uh, and even juvenile, like that's where some of the juvenile humor comes from. Uh, so there's this sense that, that Brian was brought in to kind of be the parent to say, <laughs> to teach right. him the word no. Uh, and it's a kind of a fascinating look at, how 3D Realms evolved and and what they felt they needed to do to get the game done. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I really like what he said or what he was talking about specifically, which is that they tried to get other writers. You know, they tried to get Yahtzee Crenshaw and other people to 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 rewrite it because I mean, you look at what they had and it's uh, oh, you know, I mean, uh, they really didn't have anything. I don't think. I think Gearbox did the humor. Yeah, and yeah. Newcomb, which is really sad. Yeah. Uh, because that's it's not funny. <laughs> I mean, it's not funny in a bad way. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, but yeah, he, you know, he was basically brought in to be daddy. That's kind of funny. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. So I kind of uh, I misrepresented you. You are not a Duke Nukem apologist. You uh, no. Oh, okay. No. All right. God no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We don't. Well, we don't have a numbering scale at Game Shark, and I, I think I would have broken it anyway. Uh, I don't know if uh, my grade will stick. I don't know if you can put forty minuses after. <laughs> <laughs> after some, 
<laughs> after a letter and make it count anymore. But um, now before we move on to our games of the week, can we talk a bit about you? You didn't like Duke Nukem Forever, yet you did like Shadows of the Damned. Uh, neither of those games really worked for me, but can you talk a bit about the differences? Like, what made Shadows of the Damned work for you that didn't work in Duke Nukem Forever, if I may ask? You know, Shadows of the... You know, I, th- I thought about it. Mm-hmm. And I think possibly... I played a lot of Resident Evil 5. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the controls kind of felt like that to me. And it, it just came natural. Uh, that part did, for some reason. But... I, you know, I only played like the first bit of it. I haven't had a, a ton of chance uh, to get into it that far, but I, I liked the writing from what I saw. But I have, you know, I, there's something about super childish and stupid that amuses me. <laughs> Fair I enough. don't know. I don't know what it is. And it's like, you know, oh, yes, I, I know this is poetry. Yeah, I understand that. But it's just the uh, it's the shock factor. Mm-hmm. I okay. guess involved amuses um, me, but on top of that, I, I just like the style of the game. I like the way the game uh, looks like, and then you you know contrast that with Duke Nukem. The game has zero style, right? It, you know, in fact, I could be wrong about this, but this was something that I, that really surprised me. Uh, I believe they modeled vulvas on all of the statues in Duke Nukem. What? <laughs> I believe they did. I was walking by one, and I was like, is that a reflection? Come on. So I like go up to it, and it looks like there, there's a little bit of modeling going on, even on the gold statues in the casino. So it's like they wanted to like push all this stuff in there, and yet there's no really you know crazy nudity in the game. I mean, there's you know, a few topless scenes and stupid stuff like that. Oh, you know what? I am remembering there's the uh, – are you talking about Duke Nukem or Shadows of the Damned? Duke Nukem. Yeah, in Duke Nukem, there's the naked chicks who are cocooned. Yeah. I'm just that, now remembering there is, like, weird nudity. And so that that makes me even more mad at Catherine. If a game that is, is so unabashedly childish about its perspective on sexuality can have nudity, why can't a mature take on sexuality have nudity? So sorry for the sidetrack, but that oh, no, just made me even more angry at Catherine that they're, that they're doing you know, that. You know, it's funny you mention the cocoon thing mm-hmm. because that – I think was the absolute final straw for me. You know what? That didn't bother me at all. But go ahead. I want to hear why did that bother you? It's like I don't I don't care about uh, you know the nudity at all. Mm -hmm. It's just like it's such a buzzkill in the middle of a game. If you were murdering aliens with your fist and whipping out, you know, well, we're not going to say witty quips or anything here, but (laughs) you know, you're saying something and it makes a sentence. At them, that's supposed to be funny. Right. You're doing all this stuff. You're beating people. You're taking turds out of a toilet for Christ's sakes. You know, then you go into the caves and you're surrounded by screaming, crying women that are nude and tied up and being violated by aliens. And then Duke Nukem's all like maudlin about it. You know, sorry, babe. I <laughs> hate to have to do this. You know, and it's like. Okay, so this is a game about testosterone, and you just took it to a place that's about, like, weeping women, and you have to kill them. And I usually did it with my fists, because, you know, if you're going to, you know, make it personal. But <laughs> So it's not, about, it's not about saving ammo. No, 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 it's because it's personal, you know. <laughs> well, you know, I think, I think what's going on there, Jason, is there's a certain degree of, in theory, I'm okay with that. Like a, one of the, the hallmarks of grindhouse cinema is the juxtaposition of sexuality and violence. And it can be uncomfortable, but that's part of what's provocative about that, that kind of like horror or, or right. you know, it's, it's called exploitation for a reason. It exploits the juxtaposition. Right. Now, now, and, and, what, and it, the done right is crucial because it involves a certain amount of tone or at best self-awareness. Um, you, you know, I think of how, com- how absolutely sexy Rose McGowan is in Planet Terror, the Robert Rodriguez movie, which is a tribute sure. to Grindhouse. She's oh, incredibly yeah. hot in that, and, and you cannot deny her sexuality in, in there. Uh, don't even try. Don't even try. And the hot like babysitter, the the Latino twins who are babysitters, and like, like sexuality is an important part of this kind of horror. But it seemed like Duke Nukem was so incredibly tone deaf about this, and yeah. you, you know, to have the, the women like crying was like a little weird. If they're it's just going to be like sexy objects, then that's <laughs> fine. Do that. But it's like having a sexy nurse zombie. 
yeah. You know, that's that's a that's a that's a staple of the genre. They're all over the place in House of the Dead Overkill. Uh, you know, Varla Guns, the sexy chick in House of the yeah. Dead Overkill. Like that stuff has a place, but it just seemed like it was so tone deaf in in Duke Nukem Forever. There was no sense of self awareness. Uh, it's like when you watch Commando, you don't expect to wander into a lengthy prison rape scene. Right. You know what I mean, or something right. like that. When you watch like a, a popcorn movie that's all about the crazy, stupid crap, you don't expect a lot of torture. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it, it just kind of like totally changed gears, and it, I don't know. It just kind of came off creepy, which uh, I don't know. The sounds in that game were just so awful, you couldn't really tell. Because I, I honestly thought that when. Duke is eavesdropping on some chicks filming a porn or something. I thought one of them was crying. And I don't know if that's what Duke's into because he totally goes, <laughs> oh, yeah, baby, or whatever. Maybe Duke Duke likes crying women. I think we're finally down to it, you know? Now, just to let you know, in Shadows of the Damned, they do some stuff with – because cause, uh, Garcia Hotspur is going down into hell to rescue uh, – uh, I can't think of her name, Darla. I forget the girlfriend's name, but there's his hot blonde girlfriend who – is stripped down to like lingerie, uh, and and like terrible things happen to her. But I think she's possessed by a demon when it happens or something. Uh, well, right, and it has a place there too. You know, that's right. the kind of game you expect crazy shit to happen in because it's in hell or whatever. Right, right. You know? uh, Not in Duke Nukem where he's kicking ass and chewing bubble gum or whatever. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, there you go. So your review of Duke Nukem will be up, and go ahead and spoil for us what grade did you suggest with your review i suggested uh at least an f all right good man stick, yeah i mean i, I stick can't to your it. guns if you don't like it yeah yeah uh what grade if you were forced forced right now to grade shadows of the damned granted you haven't played a lot of it but let's say <laughs> someone puts a gun to your head and they're like mcmaster what grade do you give this what would you say uh eight probably I mean, <laughs> okay, fair enough. Good. Yeah, no, it's just based on my experience. Uh, if you've got the gun in the middle of your head, just take the safe middle of the road grade. Sure. Don't commit. You know, you're like, right. oh, yeah, this is yeah, – because they might – you know. Right. See, if if you hate it and they like it, you know, you can get killed either way. That's true. Right. You give them, you give them the 7 to 9 scale every time on that one. Yeah. Let's go with the 8. Uh, so I want to then use this to segue into my game of the week, which is the one that I started playing instead of Shadows of the Damned. I got through three acts of Shadows of the Damned, and it was like, and this isn't working for me. And I just want to highlight, McMaster, where I lost interest in Shadows of the Damned. So as you're playing, and these are mild spoilers. I don't think they're too major. As you're playing, you gather uh, uh, like currency, and then sure. one of the units of currency is a blue gem. And every time you get a blue gem, you're going to get a new weapon, or so it seems. You start off with the pistol and a shotgun, and the first blue gem gives you a machine gun. Now, the weird thing that happens here is you have used all of the spaces on the D-pad for your weapons. Uh, the down, I forget what the down does, but oh, you only yeah. you know, so So at that point, you're like, okay, well, what's the next blue gem going to give me? You know, am I going to swap out weapons that go in the different slots? And I actually don't know for sure the answer to this, but where I lost interest was when I got my next blue gem, all it did was it looks like it changed the name of the shotgun and made it do more damage. And I, I was like, I already had the shotgun, and I was putting points into it, and, and I get a new blue gem, and all it does is it makes it a more powerful shotgun. Well, what's your upgrade system with the red gems doing? So I just felt at that point like... I wasn't playing, you know, here I was in this really crazy world, and I felt like their gameplay wasn't really flexed. Like, this whole meta game wasn't keeping me interested. If this awesome blue gem was just going to boost my shotgun, which I was already doing with red gems, I was like, well, forget this game. I'm going to go play something that's in a crazy, over-the-top world that has fairly simple gameplay, but a really cool meta game where I'm invested in the upgrades and whatnot – I never finished this game anyway, so I'm going to jump back into it from the beginning. And so I spent a good day or so playing Bayonetta again. Good game. I love Bayonetta. And by the way, I think it com- Bayonetta is a classic example of the difference between this weird, borderline tasteless, sexist thing going on in Duke Nukem and just being kind of sexy. Like I, I think Bayonetta herself, she's totally hot, but I don't get the sense that she's objectified. Like there's this really cool character created here and you learn things about her and she has a very definite perspective on the world. Uh, but, and there's a moment part like maybe halfway through Bayonetta where her 
I guess the guy is like the love interest. There's a guy named Luca who's obsessed with finding <laughs> yeah. her. And so there's a moment where her and Luca have a scene, and he's like a dupe. She's constantly making fun of him. Oh, yeah. Bayonetta's a badass. She's a total badass. And when he's trying to lure her with a, a tube of lipstick at one point, and she takes yeah. lipstick because she's invisible to him, and she draws like uh, doodles on his face. She gives him like a clown yeah. face and a mustache, and he doesn't know any of this. So during the rest of the scene, he's like talking with these drawings on his face. Uh, yeah. So during that scene, there's a moment where she has to leap on him to push him out of the way of some collapsing scenery or whatever. And they very consciously highlight, you know, it's that typical anime slow motion when she's knocking him over. His hand brushing against her 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 butt, you know, her derriere. Yeah. Uh, I Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's a lovely derriere. I mean, the game spends a lot it's of time. It's fantastic. And and there's this this great subtle slow motion scene where he's not groping. It's just because of him being knocked over, his hand is brushing against it. And it's a significant moment. Uh, and it's it's the it's it's an example of of something that's kind of vaguely sexy rather than something that's just blatantly sexist where you're like groping her ass. It's nothing like that. It's a very cool moment, and the game knows how to make it subtle. Uh, so I love that about Bayonetta. I love uh, the way that you can play the different levels and you can unlock techniques as you're ready to kind of learn them. You make the game more complicated as you go. Uh, you can spend your money on items to just sort of power through a tough part with healing potions that you've bought. Um, and Red I just, Hot Shot. But it, so that, don't tell me, the Red Hot Shot does, is it, does it give you an extra life? Yeah, it brings you back. Right, right. And so you can carry one of these. Yeah. I love the scoring system. Like, it can be based on how much damage you get. Uh, I I love the different moves. I love that thing where when you kill a boss, you're basically summoning an even bigger boss to eat it. Like, I yeah, love this yeah. idea. And those are spectacular. Like, there's one point where you're fighting a big snake. It's like a three-stage boss. The snake is really annoying. You have to jump over its tail. And finally, when you've killed it, you know, you press the two buttons to do what's called the, the climax kill. And Bayonetta's hair or black clothes or whatever it is turns into this giant bird that grabs the snake and pecks at it and eats it. Uh, I just love that kind of one-upsmanship and how the game is constantly just going over the top with that kind of spectacle. Um, oh, yeah. So that's and it doesn't, uh, yeah, it doesn't hurt that it's like a fantastic game gameplay-wise, too. You yeah, know, it, yeah, as far as like that whole God of War, Devil May Cry-style brawler. Uh, yeah. And and I'm not super good at those, but I feel like it's pushing me at the limit of my, you know, at the sort of this learning curve. It's constantly at the limits of my capability. Uh, so I'm really enjoying it. I never finished it. I got to like the ninth out of, I think, 11 chapters. Uh, and so I've just started over and I'm uh, sort of rediscovering the storyline. And the thing is, it's kept all my progress. You, you know, the, a lot of these Japanese games are so good about this is you can kind of grind them if you want. So I just backed over with my backed backed up with my kind of leveled up bayonetta and i've got money and techniques and i'm just going back through the early levels to get back to the point where i reached and to then find out what happens in the last two chapters oh yeah did, did you get to the end does it well here's one of the things i'm worried about does bayonetta the game end up making sense or does it just kind of have a, a vaguely japanese incomprehensible storyline uh you know i can't remember okay actually, actually my it, when you messaged me on xbox live about bayonetta being awesome a while back that was my wife sarah playing i was like ah, oh, okay <laughs> no i really i've watched her play quite a bit she was addicted to bayonetta for a while just uh it's a it's a great game by the way i am now worried i hope i didn't say anything abusive that i thought i was aiming at you that accidentally went to your wife so if i said something oh, no. like, okay because i will do that to my friends i'll see them on xbox live or what or steam or whatever and i'll just type in a little abusive message to send them and it oh yeah it doesn't occur to me it might be like wives or daughters playing at the time so. yeah you used to uh yeah you used to hit me in world of warcraft all the time that was your <laughs> that was your hobby for a while right. there so from, from starcraft too <laughs> so if Sarah reads anything untowards that I've written, you apologize in advance for me. Oh, no, I will, uh, if, if that ever happens. Okay. All right, so that was my game of the week, an oldie, but I say oldie. Isn't that last year? How old? No, two years ago? How old is Bayonetta? It might kind of be an oldie now. It might be two or three. Let me, in yeah, video so. game years, it's old. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, if it wasn't yesterday, exactly. I don't really pay attention anymore. Yeah, so that's me going all retro that was that was totally retro. <laughs> two thousand nine. Oh, good Japan. lord, man! Two thousand ten here. Yeah, that's totally pff, so yesterday. God, forget it. I'm a dinosaur. 
All right, um, McMaster, can you give us something more more relevant and recent, or are you also going into the Wayback Machine for, the, for I, this week's Game of the Week? You know, I had a hard time going over uh, and deciding what I would choose because I played some Trench and really liked it, but I don't feel I played enough Trenched to to call it a Game of the Week. Hmm. And uh, I'm intrigued by the announcement of Dota 2, or like that did the leak stuff about Dota 2, which I assume you read or heard about. I'm so out of touch. I know what Dota 2 is. It's Valve's Defense of the Ancients clone, uh, and they got that right. Ice Frog fella, but I did not know there was a leak. Right. Recently, somebody uh, that's in the closed beta or alpha or whatever it is uh, wrote an anonymous, large anonymous uh, write-up about what's going on with it and uh, that they are rumored to be demoing it at Gamescom. Okay. So I'm curious about that. Um, now, you can't choose that as your game of the week. No, you have, no. You haven't played Okay. Actually, you know what? Uh, there are no rules about game of the week. You could, if you wanted, choose and- a game you've never even played. I thought about it because it's interesting news to me being a big League of Legends MOBA game type nerd. Um, but uh, I think my game of the week is Duels of the Planeswalker 2012. Nerd. The magic game. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. No, I, I was out of town over the weekend visiting uh, my folks, uh, and I – had my laptop with me and wanted something to pass the time, so I downloaded the new Magic game. It's ten bucks on Steam, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it plays well. Uh, I <laughs> I was into Magic a long time ago, though. So, in fact, about fifteen years ago was the last time I really played. And then you know it all came back, and it's ju- it's just a well-made game. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun for ten bucks, especially if you're into collectible card games, which a lot of people are. Now, we've had uh, Waiter from the forum uh, doing a series of uh, game diary entries right. about it. He seems pretty taken with it, and he's sort of used it as a platform to talk about a lot of different CCGs. Uh, since playing Magic 15 years ago, are CCGs something that you've kept up with? Not really. Okay. Um, like one or two. And you know, most, of the, most of the games I play that involve interaction are board game or board game kind of card games. Like, Nerd. Uh, Oh, like uh, that's that's double nerding, um, <laughs> like to, like Dominion or something like that. They're uh, very good games. Uh, I just want to say, just I'm sitting here calling you a nerd. Don't tell anyone this, McMaster. But over the over the weekend, I had I guess over the last few days, I've played three games of uh, Arkham Horror, which is that big co-op yeah, board no, game. I love that game. Yeah. Absolutely. So don't tell anyone I said that though, because then I I will sound hypocritical calling you a nerd. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you are, but uh, it'll be our secret. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, what what makes this, uh, Matt? So, you played Magic 15 years ago. Here you are rediscovering the, the basic gameplay. What makes this version good? What do you like about this particular version? Because I'm I'm not sure I have any desire to tap a planes for one white mana. I think I might have gotten that out of my system. Will this game do anything to revive my interest in that? Yeah, the great thing, did you play the original Duels of the Planeswalker by I, chance? I did a little bit. I, it felt a little like grindy, and you were only like getting one card at a time to put into those pre-made decks. And right. that, that, was, that seemed like the, the rewards were a little too niggardly to sort of keep me interested in that gameplay. So I, I didn't get very far with it. Well, I mean, I, I, yeah, I completely understand. Um, it's really kind of an update, but they've done a lot with the interface. Um, as, you know, Specifically, the Steam version or the PC version, you can uh, you know you can bring up card info at any time. You can, you know, of course, it, it it's really an easy introduction to the game mm-hmm. in a way. Um, but the decks are they are, they just basically updated with the latest cards and uh, new decks. And th- there's a lot more to it actually than the original. There's quite a bit of a campaign to it, um, and of course the multiplayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, which people you know join in. They have co-op, of course, which I, I really enjoy the co-op because I have some old, other old Magic nerd friends that I play with, uh, you know, on occasion. Now, how does co-op work? Uh, you know, co-op works with. I'm trying to remember if it's. A, I believe it's a, a split. You could do two ways. There's either separate summoners, or you have like a total uh, health pool. Mm-hmm. And you're fighting against two other players at the same time. But you each, you each have your own deck. Yes, and, and you each have your own deck, but you have a certain like uh, I believe a shared pool of life. If mm-hmm. I 
remembering correctly. And are you and only you, attacking one of the other opponents, or can you pick who you want to attack? You can pick who you want to attack okay. in certain games types. In other game types, you have to, you know, attack left or something like that. But um, yeah, it just has, it's a it's a lot of content for ten bucks, and it's what I spent. Either that or Adam Zombie Smasher is the the two games I probably played the most this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, now, you gave up Magic 15 years ago. I want to ask you, Jason Flanagan McMaster, can I have your cards? I, if I still had them, I would have sold them. But I did sell them, in fact, uh, quite some time ago. I wish, uh, I wish I'd had the foresight to now, do hold you, on. Do you have any CCG cards left in your board gaming closet? I have a couple of decks of more recent Magic cards that... Uh, we picked up one weekend. We're like, hey, let's let's see what it's like, and then kind of lost interest. Uh, and uh, I played a, a game, Magi Nation, for a while, but it's been gone. So uh, what game? Magi Nation? Yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting card game. <laughs> That's a I terrible really name. It. Now, are they ripping yeah. on like imagination? Is that what they're going with? Yeah. You know, I imagine so, but you're using mages. It's like Magi. You control Magi. Right. Magic so, but yes, I'm pretty sure that that was a riff that they were going for there. They were going for the wah wah on that one. And you, you still know? have those cards? Some of them, yeah. Okay, you I, can, you can keep those. I don't want those, by the way. Oh, you sure? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got rid of most of my cards. Uh, just. Ugh. Uh, so I still have. If you were to go into my board gaming closet, it's at the very bottom of the closet, and in the very back, there are boxes of the Star Wars CCG, which. I I love that, the Decipher one, and, and Waiter in his uh, Duels of the Planeswalkers game diary that he's done for quarter to three mentioned that he, <laughs> I just felt so bad for the guy, but there was, I can't deny there's a little schadenfreude. He said that he lost all of his Star Wars cards in a flood, and part of me is like, oh, those poor Star Wars cards, but because these are collectibles and his loss <laughs> makes my cards more valuable. You're a cruel man, Tom. I, I can't help it. Supply and demand. It's simple economics, you know. His loss oh, is yeah. my gain. That's just that's just the way the world works, the way the CCGs work. Uh, so I kept my Star Wars ones. There's a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic CCG, and I would argue the best CCG ever made uh, is one called Jihad, which was later renamed Vampire the Eternal Struggle. Which oh, is, no, uh, I know that one. Oh, and it, it's not like Magic and Star Wars are all about 1v1. You're just sitting across the table, and for the most yeah. part, you mentioned that co-op mode. That's kind of a cool variation, but for the most part, Nerd. these guys, yo, yo, you got me. <laughs> Oh. oh, that was good, McMaster. You just dropped a vampire CCG <laughs> on everybody in the listing radius. You get nerded, sir. You so get nerded. Here's here's how CCG players work. Like when you play a CCG, you invest in these cards, and if you don't have somebody to play with, you're you're out of luck. So you're really. Oh, yeah. And that's what sucks is maybe you get into the game and your buddy who you got into the game with, he's lost interest or he's moved away or he sold his cards on eBay. So maybe ten years ago. Uh, was it that long? I don't know how old Jihad is, but I had all of these Jihad it's cards. Yeah, and, and I I didn't get rid of these cards. They're still back there. So I – how did I find these guys? I think the internet or – it sounds kind of sad and desperate as I'm explaining it. And you know what? That's fine because it was sad and desperate. But I found some guys on the internet who played Jihad, and I would drive way the heck outside of town to, to join these guys. Like once a month, they would play, and these were like old married dudes. They were – in L.A., this is kind of odd, but they were very weirdly kind of Christian. Like, they were part of the same church group, which is fine. I got no problems with that. But they were definitely part of some preformed church group. And they were, I think, a little older than me. Like, they were really into, like, old rock stuff, which I'm, I'm one to talk. But so I was just – these guys I had nothing in common with them except that we all liked jihad. And I would go out and play with them once a month, and it, it just felt weird and sad and desperate. So it didn't last very long. It, it was, if that makes you feel <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Hey, check this out. Uh, G, uh, Jihad was released in 1994. Wow. That's old. Oh. Ah. Uh, yeah. I had some of those, too. I was there at the comic shop when it came out. So. <laughs> well, I've bought entire boxes of them. Like, the thing is, when it... When a game like that doesn't do well, you can buy over the internet, like like at, oh, yeah. at, at wholesale rates. You know, these retailers <laughs> yeah, just trying cheap. to get rid of their boxes. Yeah, exactly. So, good lord, I've got so many of those cards. And uh, Funny you know, story about that game was mm -hmm. um, 
you know, Magic was starting to get really big at the time, and that was, uh, you know, Magic was a Richard Garfield game, so, of course, he designs Jihad, and oh. everybody thinks it's going to take off. And uh, so I, I actually worked for a comic shop. I was a teenager. And, Nerd. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and the owner of the comic shop, he was just a giant baby douchebag. I think that's a new, a new genre of fetish, baby douchebag. <laughs> anyway, so – he, uh, that's just he, uh, gross, McMaster. I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> good, good. Uh, no, <laughs> he was just, a, he was a giant dick. But he, uh, he, they'd been taking pre orders for quite some time, but when all the cards came in, he just kept all the boxes. <laughs> <laughs> he refunded well, everybody's money and opened them all himself. That's one of the perks of running your own. <laughs> Yeah, losing clients or your customers, yeah. <laughs> you could do that if you run your own business. But the thing about Jihad, though, it was so much more, as far as the gameplay goes, it was it was so much more of a sophisticated, better design than Magic. Social, and, it, it, and it was so based, yeah, on, on you know, it, it, it codified these rules of, like, politics and diplomacy, and there were different ways you could win different victory conditions and different approaches to winning and playing and all of these overlapping Sort of this is a lattice work of gameplay mechanics. Uh, yeah. So that you could have some great deck at like stealth bleeding people, but you could be trumped by a guy with a politics deck. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, there were like brute force decks and so much flavor in the different clans, uh, which I guess is that the, you know, credit for that belongs to the license rather than necessarily the CCG. Um, sure. But yeah, so when is there going to be a, a downloadable Jihad game on Xbox Live Arcade and Steam? When, when can we oh. expect that, McMaster? <laughs> Uh, pretty soon. All I right. think they're working on that one. I have no desire to play Magic the Gathering, but boy, if they do a Jihad or Vampire the Eternal Struggle game, I'm there day one. Yeah, I'm I'm not seeing that happening. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but it could happen. <laughs> All right, so there we go. That was our uh, news stories, posts, and uh, games of the week. Uh, did I miss anything? Yeah, that was all of them. Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah. Now we freestyle. Do you know about this? Uh, were you ever a Dynasty Warriors dude? Yeah, I never could get really into it because I'm tired of buying games that are basically the same thing right. every year. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Well, and also I, mean, I like them, but they're just God, Jesus. Well, and part of what makes it difficult for me is I'm no Chinese history scholar, for instance. Oh yeah, no, that that hurts uh, my enjoyment as well. Yeah, I would not know a Lu Bu from a Wei Wang. I bet you might. <laughs> uh, so a brief segue into uh, the news. Uh, a couple of high-profile Chinese dissidents were, were released uh, from from jail for their political dissidency. I don't know if that's a word. Recently. Uh, and one of them... I, that, that was I a Pearl Jam album. <laughs> political dissidency? Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, well, maybe. I don't know what you're riffing on, but I'm sure it's good. I'm not hip enough to know Pearl Jam. I'm a little too old for this. <laughs> You you kids with your fancy new Pearl Jam stuff. Uh, so one of the dissidents' names was uh, I'm going to butcher this. I just and I feel like a jerk for laughing because this guy had just been in a Chinese prison for years, separating from his family. <laughs> this could not go anywhere good. <laughs> for the, you know, for the simple act, which is a you know a God-given right to disagree with your government, uh, and his name, and I'm snickering at his name because it was I, I'm going to screw this up, but his name was. <laughs> it was I. His name was I Wee Wee. Oh God! <laughs> you know, is that is that bad to laugh at that? I think that was uh, his name, or maybe it was Wee I. No, no, I think it was like A I, and then his last name was W E I W E I. I'm a jerk. You know what? This guy is a noble person. You don't see me la- laughing at Andrew Andre Schultz Schultz name. I can't even say that guy's name. That's how unfunny it is. But I see I Wee Wee in the news, and I'm like. <laughs> That's all she wrote. Yeah, I mean, that's it. <laughs> Such a jerk. And, and, you, and you always screw with me about Bulletstorm. <laughs> but you're you know, the man laughing at poor I Wee Wee. I know, yeah. Just know. coming coming out of prison where they probably made him farm gold. Oh, I God. Mean, that's, <laughs> that's the worst news story in the history of man. Oh, I'm terrible. But anyway, the reason I'm... <laughs> So because I, as you can tell, I'm obviously a Sinophobe and I hate all all of the Chinese, uh, there's, a, there's a Dynasty Warriors that just came out this week that is kind of like, hey, you know what? Forget Chinese history. If this is too difficult for you, if, if you're too dumb to deal with Chinese history, and when I and that's Tom Chick in a nutshell right there. I hate it, 
Yeah, then here's a game, a Dynasty Warriors game, with Gundam robots. Oh, wow, they totally... Uh... They totally took that to a level I didn't expect. Well, we'll see. They've done it before because this is Dynasty Warriors colon Gundam 3. I think they've uh, been doing this. Uh, so it's the Dynasty Warriors gameplay, but instead of having to, you know, learn names like Lubu and Iwiwi, you're just playing with giant robots. It's, you know what? That's like that's like Mech Warrior, isn't it? Doesn't that make you want to play that? Yeah, except I played Zone of the Enders, and that's like always what I'm going to associate with giant mechs in a Dynasty Warrior style game. Yeah, oh god, that wait, wow, you've totally harshed my buzz, McMaster. Oh my god, All Zone right. of the Enders was so terrible. The Metal Gear Solid 2 vehicle. Uh, <laughs> it came with a demo of Metal Gear Solid 2. That was like the only way to get it was to get Zone of the Enders. Oh right, so people were buying that for the demo. That's right. Oh, I remember yeah. that. That's, there's, there's a lot of returned copies of that game. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Well, you know what? You've you've totally killed my ardor for Dynasty Warriors Gundam 3. I was thinking that... uh, All right. That's for Shadows of the Damned. (laughs) Nice. Well played. Well played. (laughs) You ruined my game. I'll ruin yours. All right. So what are you going to go play uh, later tonight? By the way, uh, shout out to Mary Prankster for uh, sending me a a chat on Xbox Live while I was playing saying, hey, you want to do a couple of rounds of Lost Planet 2? Which I absolutely did. I uh, kill. I knocked off a couple levels. I'm I'm only two chapters shy of finishing my replay through on hard. So thank you to uh, his name is is uh, is Matt Matt. I can't think of his last name, and I feel like a jerk. Anyway, Mary Prankster, thanks for for that. So I know you like that game as well, uh, McMaster. So I do. Yes, and uh, I want to give a shout out to Dota too. Let me into your private alpha. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, so I I'm not whoring. Yeah. If if you're listening, Dota too. Uh, that's McMaster, and if you're listening, Mary Prankster, uh, thanks from me. Uh, so there we go. This has been uh, this week's quarter to three games podcast. Join us next week. Uh, Jason McMaster, what three things will we highlight next week? We will highlight the news, a forum post or thread, and our game of the week. Very good. So uh, y'all come back, join us next week, and we will see you then. Take care. Let me give you some context to tell I'm still pleased to see you.